Well, this morning, I want to show you a picture of three men. These are three men that lived a little while ago, as you can tell. I wonder if you would recognize the man in the middle. The man in the middle is a famous missionary, Hudson Taylor. He's a missionary who went from England to China in the mid-1800s. And he used to look like the man on the left, but he ended up looking more like the man on the right, a Chinese native. And the reason why I wanted you to see that picture is because it's a good illustration for us as to how sometimes sharing the gospel forces us to make some changes in our life in order to bring the gospel effectively to people who are different from us, people who are outside our our little neighborhood or our little immediate family or our little immediate group of people. Hudson Taylor did some things in preparation. He, he, He learned medicine. I don't know if he became a doctor, but he studied basic medicine. He learned Mandarin in his teens, and he engaged in intense Bible study and intense prayer to prepare himself to go. Now, when he first went, he dressed like an Englishman, and that became a problem. It became a barrier to the gospel. He was fully prepared spiritually and even intellectually. He, he was fully prepared to, to even help medically uh, in missions, but there was a barrier, and the barrier was what he looked like, the way he dressed. They actually ended up referring to him as the black devil when he would enter a village in China. He would come into the village, his heart heavy for them, that that they would know the gospel, that they would be able to hear the message of Jesus, and they would run from him because they considered him the black devil has entered the village. This is why he changed the way he dressed. If we could see this in color, his robe there in the middle is either probably a bright red or could even be a bright green or bright yellow because Chinese gentlemen of that period of time wore bright colors. So his drab kind of English overcoat, which he wore, and his grays and blacks and navy blues looked threatening to the villagers, looked threatening to the children and to the the people who didn't understand why he was there. So he watched what was happening. I'm sure he prayed about what was happening. And he said, God, please use me. I want to bring the gospel to these people. They have no idea who Jesus is. And God showed him how to adapt himself in such a way that they began to listen. And as he entered a village, they all didn't run and scatter from him. He kind of blended in with them. And because of that, the gospel went to China in the mid-1800s. And he was instrumental in sending thousands of young people as missionaries into China before the communist revolution in the early 1900s. The gospel seeds were planted. And the church in China can thank this man and his soft heart, his desire to bring the good news to them and to spread the love of Jesus. In fact, in the 1855, he was preaching in one of these regions, 
And his hearers understood his Chinese speech so well that they actually were heard remarking this way. They said, the foreign devil, his language is almost the same as ours. Because they understood him so well. He had learned so much about how they spoke. I mean, because, you know, language, when you study it, it's, it can be very sort of wooden in the, in the textbook. And you have to learn the slang, and you have to learn how they, how they accent certain words and whatever. And as he listened, and as he allowed God to, to change him and train him and use him, they accepted the message of Jesus Christ. And now there are millions of Christians in China, some in persecuted areas, others that are sort of trying to work within that government. But there are millions of Christians in China who would trace their lineage to Hudson Taylor. Now, I've told you this story about Hudson Taylor in preparation for Acts chapter 16. So if you could take a Bible and turn to Acts chapter 16, I'm hoping that your understanding of what Hudson went through will help you to understand what Paul and Timothy went through here in the first few verses of chapter 16. Last week, we looked at the fact that Paul and Barnabas are now on two different journeys with different teams. Paul is looking to expand his team. And so when Paul enters, when we enter the story in in chapter 16 here, it says Paul went on to Derby and Lystra. So let me uh, show you the map here. Derby and Lystra are way down in the corner. So we're going to sort of watch... Paul's journey here as he makes his way towards Macedonia up in the opposite corner. So here in the passage, we're told that Paul went to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy. Now, so this wasn't Paul's first journey, and this wasn't the first time the gospel was brought to these towns. In fact, it had been five years since Paul and Barnabas went there the first time and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now disciples were being born of the church that was already there, represented in that, in that region, in those towns. There have been five years. It says, Timothy was the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke very highly of him. In other words, Timothy's walk with God and the way that he loved others brought, brought him sort of a reputation, a good reputation, among the people. So Paul wanted Timothy to join his team. He wanted him to go with him. And here's where we kind of slam on the brakes. So, it says in verse 3, he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew that his father was a Greek. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. If you're following along with this series, and I know it's a very long series, it'll go on until Jesus comes probably, but um, if you're following along, we just went through this issue of circumcision in chapter 15. We just settled this with the Jerusalem council and them coming to the decision that guess what? You don't have to be circumcised to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So what in the world is Paul doing? This would seem like a contradiction in our faith. People love to find contradictions in the Bible, don't they? People who don't have the Holy Spirit to guide them and teach them, to help them to know how this all works together, 
They love to say, well, you know, that's not the way it was back then. And then Paul says this, or Jesus said that, and da-da-da-da-da-da. There are no contradictions with God. God is always the same. The only problem is our lack of understanding. So I'm hoping that you will understand, in light of what I just shared with you about Hudson Taylor, what exactly is going on here. What's going on is that Paul's desire to reach the Jews, as he went on his missionary journey, he would go to synagogues, he would go to where the Jews were gathered, and he would share Jesus with them first. He felt that they needed to hear this message that God had sent his son through the Jews to save the whole world. And then he would preach to the Gentiles. And so we see Paul doing both. He has to go to the Jewish community because they didn't mingle. These two communities were very separate. They may have lived in the same town, but they didn't hang out in the same places. So he would go to the synagogue first. He would sit there and wait to be asked to speak because they would ask their guests to speak. And then he would share the gospel of Jesus. We've seen this over and over again in the book of Acts. He wanted his team to be able to go between the, the Jewish community and the Gentile community and to be able to flow back and forth so that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ could go to all people. That was his commission, and he felt and he believed that, that that was what God had called him to do. So if he were to add Timothy, whose father was a Greek, so he was not circumcised as a Jew, as an infant, if he were to add him to his team, Paul or at least half of his team, Timothy and Paul, would have to split. He wouldn't be welcome in the synagogue. He would not be allowed to speak in the synagogue. He would not be welcome among the Jewish community. Similar to Hudson, there would be a barrier. There would be a problem with communication, with being able to share the good news. It would not just flow from one person to another. There would be like, well, yeah, but you're not like us. Right? You're different than us. So the reason that we have for this event to take place, which seems contradictory after we just read all about chapter 15 and the way in which they had resolved this. In fact, the message that Paul is bringing is actually that letter that they wrote earlier that you saw in chapter 15, that letter from the Christian church that you no longer have to be circumcised first to come to Christ. You can come to Christ through faith alone. That's the letter they were sharing. So this is not a contradiction. This is a deep desire among this team to reach those who are lost. And they will do whatever is necessary to reach those who are lost. And we need to acknowledge that. And we need to ask God to give us that kind of heart too. Because sometimes we don't want to change. We want everyone to change to be like us and to fit into our little format. And God may ask us to step out of our comfort zone, way out of our comfort zone, to bring the good news of Jesus to somebody else. Simple message. It's not a contradiction. And I want you to understand that. You see, to be acceptable as a full-fledged Jew in the Jewish community was what they were looking for. They wanted to be able to be accepted and to bring a message that would be accepted so that people could come to Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that they compromised the truth. The truth was you are saved through faith alone in Christ alone. The truth doesn't change here. 
This act of, of asking Timothy to be circumcised so he could be a full-fledged member of the Jewish community when they entered in to share the gospel was not to make him more acceptable to God. Not at all. He was already fully acceptable to God. In fact, he had a good reputation among the Christians for being a man who, who was, was following God passionately and fervently. So I want to skip ahead a little bit, Tom. Thank you for following me. I want to, I want to go to verse 4. Hopefully you, you, you could grasp what was happening there. It's important for us. We want to pray that we have a heart like that, that we are willing to, to bend and to change ourselves, not the gospel, but ourselves enough to be able to reach those who are different than us. But let's go on with this story because... There's something very important for all of us here in these next few verses as well. Starting in verse 4 of chapter 16, it says, As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders back in Jerusalem for the people to observe. Remember that. You can refer back to to chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 23, if you want to see that. But they brought that message with them. And here we have again, God confirming that his message is bringing strength and numbers into the church. It says in verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in number, which means they, they shared their faith effectively with others. They kept multiplying the disciples of Jesus Christ. This is good news because this is what God has started back at Pentecost and is just continuing to spread and spread and spread, which was his purpose for giving us the Holy Spirit. So they're fulfilling their purpose. So what happens next, we need to understand. You see the map? It's not a straight line. They, they take this, this little journey And they think they're going in one direction, and pretty soon they're told not to go that way, but to go a different way. And then they try to go a different way, and then they're told not to go that way, but go a different way. And eventually, you know, they're they're in a whole different place than they intended to go. This message is called Follow the Leader. Follow the Leader. And I want us to explore this together because I think that many of us need this message burned in our soul so that we can understand how to walk with God. Because here's what happens in verse 6, as they went on their way, they wanted to go to Galatia, where we, where we hear about, where we, where we have a book that's written, book of Galatians. They wanted to go there, but it says they had been for, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they were not able to enter that. Somehow they were forbidden by the Spirit. If you continue to read in the next verse, they tried to go in another direction. And then it says, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to. So again, they, they, they somehow were, were being directed to follow his lead. Then they passed down going back down towards Troas. And then it says in verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision. 
And in the vision, he saw a Macedonian man who was standing and pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had that vision, he immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding, in other words, understanding that God had called us to preach the gospel there to them in Macedonia. So here's the deal. As you look at what's happening here, and as we looked at the map, it's kind of like this direction, that direction, this direction, and finally that direction. Unfortunately, we are not told how they were forbidden to enter. So they head north, they trust God, and they continue to go in another direction. However, it's one thing to trust God's guidance when it's actually clear what to do next. And it's sometimes something entirely different to follow God's guidance when it's unclear what to do next. Amen? Would you attest to that? Now, just so you understand, let's show the map again. This is a walk, because they did not travel on highways or road or, or railways or jump on a plane. They walked 200 miles on this little journey. When's the last time you walked 200 miles? Right? You got that step thing on your... Let's not go there. It says they went in one direction. The Holy Spirit said, forbid them to go. And then they went in another direction. And the Spirit of Jesus said they would not allow them to go there. I would start to get frustrated. I'd be like, wait a minute. I walked days to get here. And now you're saying, nope. Doors closed. We're shut down. Not going there. And then you walk days in another direction. And then it's like, nope. Stop. Go over there instead. And then eventually, they're just, I mean, Paul, he's sleeping. He's probably exhausted from walking 200 miles. He's sleeping, and then he has a vision. And in the vision, he gets direction. This is fascinating stuff, people. If you think about this in relation to your life and the decisions you've made to go here and take that job or move to that place or to be you know, involved in this thing or that thing, to invest in this and that. We make decisions every day, don't we? And how many of our decisions are frustrating to us when they don't work out the way we thought they were going to work out? Now, I know Paul had a plan. Paul is a planner. He had a plan for this trip. It didn't work out the way he thought it was going to work out. It worked out in a better way. And I, and, I, and I love this because, because Paul begins to understand that God's way is always the best way, right? But here's the question. How was God speaking these directions to them? This is the stuff that keeps me up at night. This is this reason why I have to go so slow through the book of Acts. Because I come to a place and then I have a question. I'm like... You're forbidden to go there. Spirit of Jesus says nope. Like, how? How do they, It doesn't tell us in the text. It doesn't say how. It doesn't say a voice from heaven said, do not enter. You know, it doesn't say that. It just, it just gives us the facts. Luke just writes these facts. 
And so they went a different direction. They went a different direction. So my question is, how? How did they know these directions? I want to know because I want to go where God wants me to go. And I hope you want to go where God wants you to go. And so I think we should pause here. I know I'm always pausing. Isn't it exciting? Let's pause. Let's slow down because we're going too fast. And when you go too fast, you miss the details. And sometimes the details are super important. We don't want to be circling around and circling around and circling around. We want to follow Jesus. After all, that's part of our identity. We are followers of Christ. To follow him, I have to know where I'm going. I have to be able to make that connection. So my questions are this. You know, how was he speaking these directions to them? Was it a word of prophecy? What is it? Was it some kind of deep, growing, inner conviction where it's like, ooh, I'm not comfortable going there now? So, something's going on. Have you ever, you know, had that feeling or had someone say that to you? Like, I thought I was going to do this, but then I just didn't have peace about it. And so I, I, I stopped or I slowed down, right? Was it something like that? Or... Did they have a donkey with them? And the donkey spoke up like he did with Balaam. And he said, uh, Jesus says, don't go there. You know? I would think if the donkey did speak, since we have that back in the Old Testament, we might get that from Luke. That's kind of woo. But maybe not. Maybe it was a donkey. Like Balaam in, in, in Numbers chapter 22. But we're not told, and I get so like, ooh, but I know it's a God thing, because God wants me to go deeper. God's about going deeper. He's not about like a shallow walk with him. He wants us to go deeper, to understand, and to, go, to let our roots go deeper. So my roots start like stretching out. I'm like, I want the water. I want the water. Where's the water? Give me the water. That's, that's just what happens, and I pray that that happens with you too, because the water's always there. He's not trying to hide from us. He wants to reveal to us. So let's just return for a moment to what the passage does tell us, because we can learn from that. Number one, it tells us they don't quit. They get a closed door. They get another closed door. They don't just say, oh, forget it. Let's just go home. They don't do that. They don't quit. And the passage tells us that. So... When we get frustrated, when we have some closed doors, when God says no to something we thought he was going to say yes to, don't quit. Lesson number one, keep moving. They didn't just sit in one place and say, okay, when he sends me a unicorn and a leprechaun and a rainbow and a... No, they don't do that. They keep moving. They say, well, if we can't go there, I guess we'll go there. And then they walk, 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 and then... (laughs) Nope, can't go there. Okay, I guess, well, the only direction left is to go this way, right? So they don't stop. They don't quit. They keep moving forward in the only direction that's left for them to move, actually, because God has kind of blocked the other directions. And finally, in verse 9, we are told how God speaks, and it's through a vision in verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision, and there was a man in Macedonia saying, come help us. So God clearly gave direction at that point. But this is after several, several days or weeks. We want fast. We want God. God, what's the answer? Okay, you know, write it down. Nope. Sometimes we have to seek him. And then when we do seek him with our whole hearts, we will find him. Because when we seek him with a half a heart, 
or half of our attention, he might have us spend a little more time until we get serious, right? So he gets a clear word from God. And we want to move through life guided by God's voice and directions, don't we? Don't we? Why waste our time? Why be frustrated going in the wrong direction? We want to hear from God. So let's explore this this morning before we move on from this passage. Because here's the biblical truth. Jesus came to restore humankind into a sweet fellowship that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, but before sin entered the world. All right? Jesus came to restore that. He came to be the second Adam, Scripture tells us, and then to restore fellowship by removing sin, which would separate us from God, at the cross, and allowing us then into fellowship with God. Sin cut each one of us out of that fellowship because all have sinned and fall short of that fellowship with God. But one of the main reasons Jesus came is to enable you and me to walk in restored communion with God. In Revelation 3.20, we have the words recorded by, by the Apostle John. See, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in to him, and we will eat together, and I will be with him, right? So, so there's this fellowship around the table with Jesus. Now, I know, because I pray for you, I know that there are some of you thinking right now, does God actually speak today? Or do we just have the Bible, and we got to like try to imagine what it would be like today? which we do a lot of. Or does he speak today? Will he speak to you personally if you open that door, if you fellowship with him? If you listen, will he speak in a way that you can even understand about your decisions and your everyday life? I know, I got lots of questions. But the answer to that one is yes. God himself wants all of his children to hear what he is saying to them. He wants this even more than they do. So you want to hear from God. Guess what? He wants you to hear from him more than you want to hear from him. This is super important for us. As we move into the next 50 years of this church life, since we just celebrated the last 50, it's very important that we get this. I don't want to go unless we're going the right direction. I want to be hearing God with you. I want us to discern together what God's plans are for this little church here in Holden in his kingdom plan. Because with all the voices that are out there today, I believe that this is the greatest need that the church has today. The need for believers like you and me to clearly hear the voice of God for ourselves. To not always depend on someone else to be our interpreter. It's okay for that to be part of our experience, but it's not okay if you never hear the voice of God for yourself. That's just not okay. 
And I think scripture backs that up. If we're to navigate the difficult terrain of this life in this time frame, of the high, high mountains and the low, low valleys, if we're to navigate that, just like Paul and his missionary team had to navigate the landscape as they walked from one end of that peninsula to the other, we need to be aware of and follow God's clear direction. We need to hear him when he says, stop, don't go there, go that way. We need to hear that kind of direction from him. And praise God, he has given us his Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us in this journey. We are not left as orphans. We have his spirit to guide us. But are we missing his leading because we're not hearing his voice? I believe that the Bible teaches us that every true believer in Jesus Christ has been given the ability to hear God's voice. You have the ability. Whether you have the experience or not is the question. I'm also aware that many believers have quit trying to hear him because it was a little bit hard. You struggled a little bit. And so unlike Paul and his team, you packed up your bags and you went home to what it was like before you were a believer when you didn't hear God. And so you're kind of living as though you are an orphan even though you're a child of God. Because that was the thing that you were familiar with before. God speaks to his people. If anything is clear from reading the Bible, this fact is clear. God speaks to his people. Would you say that with me? God speaks to his people. All throughout the Bible, it is very clear. You cannot read this book without hearing God speak to his people. He spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. He spoke to the judges. He spoke to the kings. He spoke to the prophets. God was in Jesus speaking to the disciples. God spoke to the early church in the book of Acts. God spoke to John on the island of Patmos where we get the book of Revelation. From the beginning of the Bible in Genesis to the end in Revelation, God is speaking, and you can anticipate he will speak to you. He will. He desires to have that kind of intimate fellowship with you. The fact that God spoke to his people is far more important than what he spoke right? The fact that he, not, not what, but of how he spoke, right? He uses any, let me restate, let me restate that because that didn't sound right. Back up the tape. The fact that God spoke to his people is far more important than how he spoke. Not what he spoke because what he spoke is the most important, but how he spoke. Because however he spoke, he, when he spoke, the person knew it was God speaking, he knew what God was saying. Now, I have this list from this book that I'm, that I'm reading on, on the, guide, the guidance of hearing God, and it just gives a list here. I'm just going to quickly go through this list of the multifaceted voice of God. He doesn't just speak in one way. He spoke in a dream. He spoke in a trance. He spoke through angels. He spoke through the voice of the archangel. He spoke, and it was the sound of many waters in Revelation. 
The sound of the Lord walking in the garden. So there was a sound to that. There was something that they picked up on when God came and looking for them in the garden. The sound of an army of God marching in the tops of the trees in 2 Samuel. An audible voice from God again and again. But also God speaking peace to his people. Somehow bringing a a sense of calm or peace was him speaking. Obviously, we have God's written word, our primary source for his voice, the thing that trains us to know that whether it's God or not, because there are many voices, it's our chief reference point and always should be. He speaks through the wonders of the sky and on the earth, Scripture tells us. He does speak through visions. He speaks through parables to the prophets. He speaks through words and physical metaphors through the prophets. The Holy Spirit speaks to a group in Acts 13, as we studied. Men moved by the Holy Spirit declare God's voice, we hear in 2 Timothy. Heavenly experiences in which one is brought up before the Lord. We hear that mentioned in 2 Corinthians by Paul the Apostle. The Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit, Romans 8, 16 tells us. One person speaking the revelation revelatory counsel of the Lord to another, as we just spoke of in the book of James. And God's own son spoke God's words to us. This list is not exhaustive, but it gives us a bird's eye view of some of the ways in which God has chosen to speak to his people. We need to be aware that God has not gone silent. God desires to have a relationship with us. In the Gospels, God spoke through his son, John tells us in John 14, verse 10. He says, I spoke the words that I spoke to you. I did not speak on my own. This is Jesus speaking. But the Father who lives in me does his works. When Jesus spoke, the Father was speaking through him. When Jesus did a miracle, the Father was doing a work through Jesus. Any encounter with Jesus was an encounter with God. So what I want you to take from this this morning is I want you to take the faith to believe that God wants to talk to you. He does it primarily through your time in the Word, but that's not the only way in which he does it. The Word teaches us that. He has not left us without a road map, without a manual for life. We have God's word. And so having God's word is the foundation for which any communication from God needs to, to stand on. If it's out there somewhere, never, never mentioned in the scriptures or whatever, then we would say, well, I don't know. But when we can go back to scripture and say, yeah, that's here. That's confirmed here. That's confirmed there. So the word of God is primarily where we find it in plain print, but it's like the owner's manual that's in the glove compartment of your car. You're driving the car. You're not reading the manual. You're living your life. You're not just reading Bible verses. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the, the, the manual explains everything about the car. My wife and I were just looking at the manual the other day. We went out in her car. Some little light was on. She's like, what's that? I go, I don't know. Open the glove compartment, look inside and say, 
Well, it says this, but I still don't know what that means, right? I needed a deeper revelation to understand. But, but she's just driving the car. You know, the car wasn't broken down. She's just driving the car. So we're living our lives. We have a manual to help us understand our lives. But the manual is not necessarily a, a script for your life, Olivia, like, Olivia, on Tuesday, March 27th, uh, go to the dentist. You know, like, it doesn't do that for us. You know, we, we have to read God's word, refer back to God's word, continue to try to understand God's word, but we, at the same time, are living our lives. And we know that the reason we're living our lives is for him, to give glory to him. So the instruction that is in here is for us, but it isn't about you. It is for you, but I, 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 I don't find, you know, even the year 2023 in here, right? So it's, it, it's do, do you grasp what I'm trying to say? If you're having trouble understanding God, remember the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And because of the Holy Spirit, we can understand all things, Scripture tells us. Somehow, he is able to reveal to us. It may not be instant, usually isn't, but he will reveal. You see, when we moved from the Gospels into Acts to this present day, we quite often change our mindset about God. We live as if God quit speaking personally to his people, even though this whole book is about him speaking to his people. He clearly spoke to his people. And the church in the book of Acts and us being a part, an extension of the church. So he clearly speaks today. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. He will call to memory the things that Jesus has said. He will guide you into all truth. He will speak what he hears the Father saying to you. He will tell you what is yet to come, Scripture tells us. And he will always glorify Christ as Christ is revealed to you and through you. So if you're having trouble hearing God speak, you are in trouble at the very source of your relationship with him. So I want to challenge you with that. The key to knowing God's voice is an intimate love relationship with God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit. Your relationship. Some people try to bypass this love relationship and just go at it with all intellect. Like it's all, it's got to be logical and I got to understand it all and I have to do all the research and blah, 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 blah. they don't hear God's voice. They're just into the facts. They're just reading the car manual. They're not driving a car. They're just, oh, did you know, did you know the oil pressure? Did you know how much? You know, yeah, okay, but how does that? How are you living that, right? I'm glad you know that, but how are you living that? See, that's the transfer. That's the thing that the Spirit has come to give us. And there are no substitutes for an intimate relationship with God. None. You can't bypass that. You cannot know God unless you have an intimate personal relationship with Him. Scripture is clear to tell us that it is the Spirit who helps us when we don't know what to do. It is the Spirit in us that guides us into God's Word and helps bring revelation back into our lives. 
How does this apply to my decisions? How does this apply to my relationships? That's where the spirit is at work. And if you're not hearing the voice of God, there's a disconnect. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 119, he said, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. We need a lamp to our feet. We need a light on our path because it's a dark world. If the world was bright and cheery, I guess we wouldn't need it. But guess what? It's not, right? Just turn on the evening news, darkness, darkness, despair. Oh, God, I need your word because I don't even know what to do. I don't know where to walk. I don't know where to stop. I don't know where to turn. Well, good thing we got his word. Good thing we got his spirit to interpret his word so that it can work its way into my life. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Richly in you. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates as far as separating the soul and the spirit, joint and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. That's the word of God. That's the power of the word of God, inspired by the spirit. So if you do not already have the kind of relationship where you feel like there is an exchange between you and God and the Holy Spirit and his word, I think you should pray. The answer is always prayer anyway, but I think you should pray. Pray something like this, God, I pray that I will come into such a relationship with you that when you speak, I hear you. And when I hear you, I respond. I don't just hear you and say, yeah, yeah, whatever, and keep doing my thing. When you say stop, I stop. When you say go, I go. When you say turn right, I turn right. I was left, but I was doing that for you. God is, God is going to do a work. He is already doing a work, but he's going to do a work for some of you, maybe for all of us, to help us to clarify and discern him better. Jesus said, my sheep, they hear my voice. I would like to add the word because, but I'm not going to. It says, I know them, and they follow me. But I'm wondering, my sheep hear my voice because I know them? Because they know me? It is about that relationship. The knowing is right there in the middle. I love that. So my sheep hear my voice. I know them. And the biblical term for know is an intimate word. We know that. It's not a, oh, I have some intellectual knowledge. No, no, no. I know them. I have a deep relationship with them. And they follow me. Can we read that verse together before we sing this song? My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Oh, God, help us to hear your voice. And when we do, help us to obey it. To not quit when we get frustrated. To keep moving. And to allow you to guide our steps by speaking into our life, into the decisions we're making in the direction we're going. May Christ be glorified. Amen.